Philippians chapter 1. We're going to, as I said, focus on this letter here written by Paul. Uh, if you want a little extra homework, because I know you all miss school and you wish you had more homework, um, you can read in Acts chapter 16 how this church was started. So don't do it right now. I'll give you a little brief rundown. I'm sure other guys are going to reference this, but the story of this church was found in the Bible in Acts chapter 16, and it was a pretty miraculous thing. Paul wanted to go preach the gospel other places. God redirected him. It says the Holy Spirit literally told him no. He ends up getting a vision. He ends up in this area. He goes to preach the gospel, and he can't really find anybody to preach to, but there's a group of ladies who are having a prayer meeting down by a river. And he goes, and he shares the gospel there. He asks them, has anybody ever heard the good news about Jesus Christ? And there's one lady there named Lydia, and the Bible tells us God opened her heart, and she receives this message that this Jesus died and rose and paid for her sins and is Lord, and he's coming again. And she believes it, and she's saved, and she gets baptized. And then she tells Paul and the people with him, Stay in my house with me. So they're staying with her, and they're sharing the gospel, and this demon-possessed girl is saying crazy stuff, uh, kind of what happens to you on an everyday basis, right? Following Paul around and saying things, and Paul casts out the demon, and then the people who use this girl as a slave and made money off her get angry, so they basically kind of trump up false charges against Paul, and Paul and this guy Silas get thrown in prison, they're there at midnight singing worship songs. God causes an earthquake to happen. Everybody can leave. This jailer's about to kill himself. They say, don't do it. This is a crazy story, right? This is in the Bible. Maybe you've never read this. They say, don't do it. The guy doesn't commit suicide. Then he takes them back to his house, Paul and Silas, and like cleans up their wounds because he was probably the one who beat them. And then he says, talk to us. And Paul talks to them, and his whole family gets saved. And they all get baptized. And then Paul gets let out of jail, threatens the politicians, and basically leaves the city. So in this little city was this group of people, this lady named Lydia, probably this demon-possessed girl who had it cast out of her. I bet she believes in Jesus then. This jailer and his family. And they start to tell people about Jesus. And pretty soon, there's a group of people in this city of Philippi that believe in Jesus. And that's who Paul is writing to. This is probably some 10 years after he's had this time with these people. And Paul at this point is in prison. He's in jail in Rome. And this guy Epaphroditus comes from the church and gives him a gift, a monetary gift. If you were in jail on that day, you didn't get supported by the jail. Like They didn't give you food and stuff. People who cared about you had to come and bring you food or bring you things to provide for you. So this guy comes from the church and brings a bunch of money, and he's there as a representative. And he receives this letter. He talks to Paul about what's happening in the church, and he goes back. And that's kind of where we get this. But as Paul is writing, I just say all that. You can read more detail, Acts 16. But to put this picture in your mind, this is not just a random group of people Paul has never met. Does that make sense? When he thinks of writing to these people, he thinks of Lydia and staying in her house. He thinks of the jailer. They could probably have some jokes, you know, when Paul sees him, don't hit me in the jailer. He's like, oh, you know, come on, sorry, man. 
You know, forgive me, right? I already did, you know that. He thinks of this demon-possessed girl. She probably is so happy when she sees Paul. She, he thinks of these people. They're, they're real people that he knew, and then some new people that he probably didn't know that well. But he cares about them. And he doesn't know if he's about to die. So, again, just think. If you were literally caught for being a Christian and put in jail in some country, like, I don't know, Iran or Pakistan or a country where it's illegal to be a Christian, and you were waiting to receive your sentence, and you knew they might put you to death, and you were going to write a letter, that would be pretty important, wouldn't it? Especially if you were writing to people that you loved. The things you were saying, you weren't going to say a bunch of fluff. You were going to say things that were meaningful. That's what this is, this letter. And I think it's important just to kind of have that in the back of our mind. It, it has a lot of weight because Paul really means these things. He means it because he loves these people, which we'll see. And he means it because he doesn't know what's going to happen to him. Maybe he's going to live, maybe he's going to die. So let's jump in. Verse 1. I'm working to verse 26. I give you a heads up so that way you can know when I get close. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, that means the church was ordered, they had leaders and servants, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul just writes, he says, hey, from me, Paul, from Timothy, bondservants of Jesus. This is kind of interesting because in other letters, Paul would call himself an apostle. He kind of had to use... Um, terms that would show his authority. He doesn't have to do any of that with these people. He's not being anything other than a friend, right? Because he, he loves this group and he, this church loves him. So he says, I'm just Paul, just Paul with you guys. And Timothy, we're writing to you, to all of you saints, to the church. Look at verse three. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. That, that was real in his heart. It wasn't just a verse to send to your girlfriend that's a Christian or something, right? It was, it was something that literally when he thought of them, right, he thought of the jailer, he thanked God for what happened. When he thought of that girl, he thanked God for what happened. When he thought of Lydia, he thanked God that he met her on that river that day. He, he was thankful for these people. Always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy, he's happy to pray for them. And to pray for God's work in their life. Because he loves them. Let's just think about this for a second. Is there anybody in your life you're happy to pray for? To pray for God's work in their life. God's love in their life. There should be. Paul, that's what he's like when he thinks of these individuals. He's happy for, look at the next verse. Your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. One of the main things he's happy about is their fellowship in the gospel. I love this because this church was very connected with Paul. They had a great relationship with him. Uh, Paul allowed this church to support him financially where he would not allow other churches to support him financially. He literally rejected their money. And he said, I don't want to receive money. I don't want anybody to say that Paul's just out here for money or doing this to make money. But there was one church we know that he let support him financially, and it was this church. He received money for other people from churches to bring to Jerusalem, but for himself and his own ministry, 
he worked. He made tents. He didn't want to be a bad example. But from this church, he received support at least, I think, three times in Scripture. So he is tied into, he knows this is a group of people that are in this with me, right? So when we say fellowship, like if, if I just use that word, we might think of a lot of different things. But in the Bible, when you use the word fellowship, it means more than just, hey, we talk and laugh and hang out. Or we go to something together or we see a movie together or get something to eat together. What it means is we are going to go into a partnership. So you're going to sell everything you have and I'm going to sell everything I have and we're going to pool our money together and start a business. That's a big deal, right? We're going to have a life partnership. We're going in together on a project here. But he says, our fellowship isn't in business, per se. It's in, notice what it says, in the gospel. So you're going to go all in on the gospel, and I'm going to go all in on the gospel. And we're going to do that together. And Paul was so thankful that he knew he had a group of people that he could do that with. And I hope that that's what this is. All of you here... I hope that there's something in your heart that looks around at other Christian people and says, you know what, in a world that's crazy, I want to go all in on serving Jesus, and I'm glad that there's other people around that I know that have the same heart. As a believer, I'm super encouraged when I can see people, and that's true. I can know whatever happens, this person's going to keep living for Jesus. And I want that, and I want to be around those types of people. I want, I want fellowship in the gospel. I can have fellowship in other ways, and that's cool. But I'm really thankful when I find fellowship in the gospel. Right? When you find that in, a, in your school, there might not be a bunch of other kids. Maybe some of you don't have that in your family. Maybe some of you, you're heading off to college, and you're, you're going to look for that. I'm going to look for people that want to serve Jesus. I'm going to try to find a Christian group or other people that I know love him. I, I'm looking for that fellowship in the gospel. And what Paul says is, I'm so thankful that I have that with you guys. From the first day, literally, I met Lydia. She got saved, and she was like, come stay with us. Let's, I can help your mission by allowing you to hang out here at my house. Sleep here, eat meals with me, and then go tell people about Jesus. It was, it was something that was very meaningful that this group of people were partners in this Christian mission with him. They were together. Again, what is at the center of your relationships? Is it the gospel? Is it Jesus? Or is it other things? Is it English class, right? You got some friends and you're like, they're my English class friend. They sit next to me and we talk in English class and we don't have any other interaction. Or they're my, you know, soccer team or basketball team or whatever, softball, baseball team friend. We hang out on the team, we talk there, but that's the center of our fellowship. And then when that's over, it's over. Then you have some friends that, that are closer. You might invite them over to your house. Um, then you have some friends that are even closer. You're like, we're going on vacation. Will you come? I'll hang out with you for a week and we won't kill each other by the end. Right? Like there's, there's certain, there's levels of fellowship. What is the center of our fellowship and relationships? And what Paul wanted is that I want relationships that are centered around Jesus. Maybe some of those other things are cool. 
But I want, I want that in my life. I'd encourage you to look for those types of relationships. Now, not only that, look at 6. He says, being confident in this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ, just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of this grace." For God is my witness, how I greatly long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Paul was just really confident. Here's what he says. I'm confident, and here's part of the reason I'm excited to know you and be in prayer for you, that God who started something good in your life is going to finish it. Paul knew it wasn't him. When Paul went to Philippi, it was not his idea to start a church by meeting a group of ladies, casting out a demon-possessed person, getting thrown in jail, and having a miracle happen and, you know, witnessing to the dude who beat him and threw him in prison. Like, none of that. If you have, like, people church planning plans, those are never part of the plans. Right? There's church planning book 101, go find a demon-possessed person, cast it out, get thrown in jail. Right? None of those things are part of the plan. So when that all happened, Paul's saying, it's not, I'm not the one who started this. God is the one who started this. And the God that started something in you is going to finish it. He's not going to let that fall by the wayside. And if you want to live for Jesus, you want to follow his plan for your life, that's an encouraging thing. God doesn't plant a little plant and have just a tender shoot start to grow up and then just totally forget to take care of it. Some of us, maybe that's us, right? You, you tried to plant something this year and it's already dead because of neglect, or you've tried to, you know, start something like that and it hasn't really happened. That's not the way God is. What he begins, he's going to finish. Listen, every single person in this room, God loves. Every single person in this room, God has a plan for your life. He has begun it when he saves you and brings you into his family and into his kingdom. And Paul said, I'm confident that the God who started that, who got the ball rolling, is going to take care of it to the end. He's going to finish it. He's not going to let that happen in his life. Look, he says, again, it's right for me to think this of you all because I have you in my heart and as much as both in my chains and the defense of the confirmation of the gospel. All his persecutions, all the things that happened to him that were negative in Philippi all worked out to something good. He said, even though it looked really bad at one point when I was beaten and thrown in jail for doing nothing, God worked it to start a church. And he said, I'm confident that he can continue to do that, even in my chains and my defense of the gospel. Even when it looks like something negative is happening, I believe that God can take that thing and work it for his plans and his will. He had seen it. He believed it. Now, verse 9, here's what he's also praying for these people. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more, notice this, in knowledge and in all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, 
being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That's a great prayer. Don't you wish somebody was praying that for you on a regular basis, right? That's what Paul is praying for this church. He prays, number one, that they would have love that abounds. That's something we hear very often, right? We need to love people. We should have more love for people. But look at what Paul prays. It's kind of interesting. That your love would abound more and more in what? Knowledge and discernment. Like I, You don't usually tie those things together. That I can have the type of love that is knowledgeable and discerning? Because sometimes, particularly in the world we live in, it's not always easy to know what the best way to love somebody is, is it? Sometimes it's difficult, right? Sometimes it's difficult to know how to love a parent who makes mistakes. Sometimes it's difficult to know how to love a friend who maybe shares something with us that seems like suicidal or like there's self-harm going on. Maybe it's hard to know how to love a friend who, again, is sharing opinions about things that we're not sure whether they're good or not. It's hard to know how to love individuals who sometimes might seem like they're actually in conflict with us or with themselves. And Paul's saying to this church, I, I'm praying that your love would abound, but that God would give you discernment and knowledge, that you would know how to, notice, distinguish, approve things, distinguish between things that are good and things that are excellent. Prove the things that are excellent. That's that's better than just something that's okay. Right? We all know how to, well, should most of the time, know the difference between things that are really bad and things that are really good. But sometimes it's hard to tell, like, okay, both of these things seem okay, but which one is the best? Which one is better? What's the best thing to do in this situation? What would be the best thing that God would have for me? Things that are meaningful versus things that are worthless. What is worthy of my love? We don't think about that. Do you understand there are some things that are not worthy of your love? Like you are created in God's image and likeness. You are the most remarkable thing on the face of this earth. There are some things that aren't worthy of your love. You shouldn't pour your worship and your time and your emotion and your life into those things. God is worthy of your love. The things that God might point you to, but everything isn't. And we need to be able to choose between the things that are excellent and the things that might not really be that meaningful. And he wants them to do that so that they would be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Sincere, genuine. Everybody wants to be genuine. Nobody wants to be disingenuous. Nobody wants to be a hypocrite. But we all battle to actually be our true selves, to really be sincere. And Paul says, I want you to be able to be sincere and without offense, blameless, uh, that we should be sincere before him and that we should be sincere in our expression to him, right? He doesn't want us just to be worldly or sentimental. He didn't want these people to be mediocre Christians. I don't want you to come to Christ and just stay where you are. I want you to be sincere, genuine, blameless, moving forward. Great prayer, right? Till the day of Christ, till Christ shows up. And that that type of life 
would be filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. That's a life that's going to be meaningful. Now, he says, but I want you to know, brethren, the things which happened to me, because this church was worried about him, actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident in my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. In some, indeed, preach Christ even of envy and strife, some also of goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? So what do we do about all this, he's saying? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. The idea is this. They know Paul's in prison. They know Paul's life literally is on the line. They're worried and scared for Paul because they love him. Paul is writing back and saying, listen, don't be worried and scared for me. Everything that is happening is something that God is going to work for his will. All of his chains have turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. And he says two direct things. Number one, he says, literally, Roman guards are getting saved. We know that. He's saying people from the, that Roman area, the, the literally probably the guys chained to him that would be watching over him and making sure he's not trying to escape or do anything stupid, we're, we're getting saved. And he's saying, my chains are encouraging other believers. When believers see me in this difficult position and still serving God and God still working, they're being encouraged. And he says, I can see God working even in this position. Don't be worried about me. Don't be stressed. Everything's still working good. And even people who are kind of sharing the gospel to spite him in a way, it seems like there were some people that were involved in some controversy. We don't know what it was, but um, maybe they were saying all Paul cares about really is money. That's why he's talking about Jesus. Or maybe they were saying Paul serves Jesus wrong. That's why he's in prison. Or maybe he shouldn't preach the gospel that way. God's disciplining him. Whatever people were saying about Paul, he was saying, it's cool. As long as they talk about Jesus, I don't even care. Right? Here, here are the two things that I want. I want the gospel to be furthered, and I'm seeing people saved. And I want believers to be encouraged, and I'm seeing that happen. I mean, some of you, you could think, do you know somebody in your life who's a Christian, who's going through really difficult things, that continues to live out their Christian life. If you do, that person becomes an encouragement, don't they? You look at that and you say, man, Lord, thank you for that person. If they can do that, I probably shouldn't whine about the things I'm whining about, right? That Look at the way they trust the Lord. I want to trust him like that. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, hey, I'm cool with this. God is doing a unique thing. Whatever way this works out, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. Because there was something bigger in his life than just his own happiness or his own fulfillment or his own fun. He said, there's purpose behind my life, and that purpose is being fulfilled. And even if I'm in a chain, I could see that purpose being fulfilled. 
Do you have a purpose behind your life? You do, whether you realize it or not. That's what, that's what he's about to talk about here. Look at verse 19. He says, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed. But with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or death. And verse 21, this is our theme verse, which is this. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul's basically saying this. The gospel is more important to me than my own feelings or reputation or comfort and life. And in the end, that will be vindicated no matter what happens. I believe that it is going to be made obvious that what I'm living for is worth it. It's a pretty huge statement, actually, right? That Paul is saying, I don't know what the plan is, but I know what the purpose of my life is. Our plans will change in life, but our purpose will never change. Our plans we should hold very lightly, but our purpose will never change. Paul's plans were to go to preach the gospel somewhere else, and they got changed. And then he wanted to preach the gospel somewhere else, and it was changed. And then he got a vision that made him say, oh, maybe my plan should be that. And he went to Philippi, and his plan was just to share the gospel. And it got changed. He got thrown in jail instead. But all through that whole process, his purpose never changed. His purpose was serve Jesus, preach the gospel, encourage other believers. So whether he was where he was or whether he was somewhere else, whether he was in jail or out of jail, whether he was doing really well or not doing well, whether he had somebody chained to him or not somebody chained to him, no circumstance did Paul's purpose in life change. Do you follow that? Does that make sense? Right? You have a purpose in your life if you're a Christian. That will never change. doesn't matter what your career is. doesn't matter what happens in your life. doesn't matter what your health is like doesn't matter what happens in your marriage or in your family. doesn't matter what the circumstances in America are. The purpose of my life as a Christian to know God, to serve God, to honor God never changes. To share the gospel never changes. Now, the plans might change. You're like, I might want to serve God by going to this college. And then you know what happens? You go to that college and you're like, this college is horrible. Change your plan. Fine, great, go to a different college. Right? I think maybe God wants me to do this for a career. Okay, and then you start to do it, and then like it doesn't work. Okay, well, change your plans. God's changing your plan. God doesn't, God doesn't give you a set plan. The plans change all the time. You can have your plan, just hold it lightly. Maybe your plan will work out, maybe it won't. But it doesn't matter because your purpose doesn't change. And Paul was saying, I'm never going to let my purpose go. And whether my purpose is fulfilled in my life or in my death, literally, notice what he says, verse 20 there. So Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. I'll never let my purpose go. If I have to die to fulfill my purpose, then I'll die to fulfill my purpose. That's what Jesus did. So... 
For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's striking. It's a striking statement right in our language. It's even more striking in the original language there because it's literally to live Christ to die gain. It's, it's, it's a very direct kind of statement. You would see it even more clearly. To live Christ, to die gain. The Greek words are striking in the way that they're written. Paul is gripping, declaring his purpose for life. This is what my life is about. If I die, I'm closer to Jesus. If I'm here and I'm alive, I serve Jesus. They couldn't, they couldn't change that. They couldn't do anything with it. Right? You're a Roman guard. You have Paul chained to you. You're like, deny Jesus and stop serving him. And he's like, no. And they're like, we're going to kill you. And he's like, okay, to die is game. They're like, don't kill him. He likes it. What do we Okay, what are, what are you going to, right? What do you do with that guy? How do you threaten that person? You're going to make me close to Jesus. Uh, all right. Uh, lock, him, lock him up, you know? And then, then you won't be able to worship Jesus. He's always with me. You can't, there was no way you could change his purpose in life. And if you let me live, it's going to be about Jesus. My life is Christ. I had a friend that used to talk to people, and he'd always, especially when he wanted to share Christ, he'd lead with this question. He'd go, what are you about? And most of the time, people would be really confused. So they'd be like, oh, uh, well, um, uh, family? Uh, you know, like, uh, they try to think about, what, what am I about, right? What if somebody walked up to you and they're like, what are you about? What would you, what would you say? It's, it's, it's uh, we don't, we don't actually like questions like that because they force us to look at ourselves a little more clearly than we want to look at ourselves, right? That we have to see, if we really sit back and we say, what am I about? Then I see my selfishness or my shallowness a little bit more because what I'm about might just be like video games, uh, Pinterest photos, right? Like binging Netflix, pornography, friends, like just other people's view of me, right? Like what, what is my life really about? What am I thinking about? What am I trying to get to? What am I caught up in? A lot of times if we answer that, it's actually pretty shallow. What makes you live? What do you get excited about? Paul was like, for me, it's Christ. Want to talk about other stuff? Okay. But if you want to say, what makes me live? What makes me live is Christ. And to die is gain because you bring me to Christ. What is your life about? All too often, Jesus is something in our life that is secondary and not primary. Are you excited to be here? You don't have to answer that. I hope you are. Right? to hear about Jesus? Or do you have anything in your life that you're like, I want to seek him personally? Do you ever close your door and read your Bible on your own? Is there anything in you that your life is about Christ? Because if the Holy Spirit's in you, it should be about Jesus Christ. Because the Holy Spirit wants to exalt Jesus Christ and make Jesus Christ known to you and teach you about Jesus Christ and conform you into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. And the less our life is about Jesus, 
the more our life is about something else, whether we want to admit it or not, because we don't like it when somebody asks. It's a stupid question, right? It's only stupid because it bothers us. I don't want to answer it because I don't honestly want to look at myself and have to admit what my answer would be. Paul could say it real quickly. My friend walked up, what are you about? Paul would have been like, for me to live is Jesus, to die is gain. What are you about? You would have known. You would have known. And we we ask other questions. Well, what is it, a sin? Or how come I can't do that? Or, man, you're being like legalistic with this stuff. I don't know. Is Jesus primary in your life or is Jesus secondary? What What is true about you? Do you just want your life sorted out and taken care of by Jesus? There's a lot of people like that. Can Jesus, Jesus, can you just sort my life out, kind of take take care of it? I want Jesus with my life or maybe like the pastor. That's your job, right? Sort my life out, fix my problems, help me, help my life to kind of be what, what I want it to be. I want my life with Jesus, but I don't want my life for Jesus. That's a different thing. That's that's when Jesus is what you're about. I want my life to be for Jesus. For me to live, Paul would say, is Christ. To die is gain. Paul had already proved this. We have to ask ourselves that individually. I have to ask myself that. But Paul had already given up his reputation he had already given up his career. He had already given up all his wealth. He literally said, everything else I own is nothing to me now. That I might know him. We'll get there. One of the other guys will teach it, so I can't teach their spot, right? But he had already proved this. I already gave it up. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. You're just making that choice. Think about it. Listen to me. You're a youth here. You're just making that choice. But there will be a day when your life will be, my life has been about what? My life has been about what? Something. And will we be sincere? Right. This whole letter is all about Jesus. Chapter 1, Christ is our life. Chapter 2, Christ is our mind. Chapter 3, Christ is our goal. Chapter 4, Christ is our strength. It's all about, it's all about Jesus for Paul. This is real for him. So, in verse 22, he can say, But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I choose, I cannot tell. The idea is, if I don't get put to death, I'm going to be here and serve. And what... What I would choose to do, whether die and go to heaven, which is gain, or remain here, I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't know what I would choose. Verse 23, for I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. So, God, are you going to kill me here in prison and allow me to be put to death? It's far better. Or if I stay, I help other people. Which is a choice? I don't know. Now, Paul wasn't saying that in a negative way. Paul was saying that in the most positive way possible. He's basically saying, God, I put it in your hands. Right? We have a lot of really hurting people. Your age group, the number two cause of death is suicide. If I ask for hands, I'm not. 
But if I did, probably most of you, if I said, who has a friend or somebody close to them, they know that commit suicide, probably most of you would be able to say that, which is sad, right? Because Satan wants you to not trust your life to Jesus, who has a purpose and a plan that's never going to change and will be there to see it to the end for you. But he wants you to like forget about that. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy what he can in your life. And Paul, even when he was in a difficult place, and they said, like, what about your life, Paul? He would just say, I put it in God's hands. God can do what he wants with me. And I trust him either way. It's powerful, right? It was powerful. If he remained, verse 25, being confident in this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. He said, I have a desire to depart. That word depart means, it was used in two ways, to like loose a ship from its moorings, right? You take the rope off the dock and then the ship can go. Or you break down an army camp because you're about to go out on mission. Paul said, if I'm going to depart... I'm cool with that. I'm a, soldier, I'm a soldier that just came back from the battle. Or I'm a person who's just been on the stormy seas and I just pull back up at the dock. If I depart, it's cool. That would happen later. He would say later, I'm ready to depart and to have my life poured out like an offering. But at this point, he's, he says, I don't think that's what's going to happen. I think I'm going to be here. And he says, if I'm here, I am going to be here to bless you. It's pretty incredible, right? I know my purpose, to know God and to serve others. So I would just ask you, right, if God has you here, he has you here for a purpose, one of the things that he should have you here to do is actually to bless others. Like your presence on the face of the earth as a Christian should be a blessing to other people, to your family, to your friends, to people that you're going to be connected with that are still going to come to know Jesus through some type of witness in your life, right? So think about it. Paul could say, my, my life will be a blessing to you. I'll pour my life out. I'll, I'll be thrown in jail to be an encouragement to you. I will, I will suffer difficulty so that other Christians can be blessed. That was the type of person he was because that's what Jesus was like. And he was all about Jesus. What about you? Think about it. Right? If you can think and say, man, I don't really know if other people would be blessed with me being around, then you should pray and just say, Lord, who can I be a blessing to? And then when we go eat Chick-fil-A, you share a nugget with somebody or something like that. Right? You could be a blessing to somebody this weekend. You could be a blessing to one of your staff members and go to bed when you're supposed to. Right? There's all different ways that you can be a blessing <laughs> It just in these next couple days. So there should be a purpose there behind your life and what the Lord would have of you. So let's do this. We're going to stand up. We're going to pray. I'm going to end right where I was supposed to. We will pick up from there as we jump on in the book of Philippians. But... Let's, let's just pray, and I encourage you, 
If you're here and you you really want that, like, Lord, I want my life to be about you. I, I really want that. I don't want that to be just a saying. I, I don't want it to be a theme verse for a conference. I want it to be real in my life. Then just ask for God's Holy Spirit to fill you and to speak to you the rest of this time. Right? I'm going to pray that. Just agree with that in your heart. He knows. He hears. He answers. So let's pray. Lord, again, we thank you for this your word. We thank you for the heart that's expressed here. And we know, Lord, the love that Paul has for these people is not greater than the love that you have for us. And you had them write these things because you want them to be true about us in our day and age. And we thank you, Lord, that we can trust you, your purposes in our lives, your plans in our lives, your direction for our life. We could be confident in your keeping hand on our life. And I just pray for myself and each of my brothers and sisters in this room here that you would allow us to be settled in you, in your grace, and that you would allow us to be able to truly say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To love you and trust you in that way. Fill us, Lord, afresh with your Holy Spirit. You know all the things the enemy would put in our lives to come into conflict with that. Let us walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Let us honor you in sincerity and in truth. Let us be those, Lord, who love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor that you would put in our path. So we just commit this time to you, Lord. Bless even this meal that we're about to have. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.